0: travelling together in a car when it began to make some rather strange noises. One of, some of them suggested that they should pull over and uh, go into the closest service centre just to have it checked out. The other person suggested they just turn up the radio louder so they wouldn't hear the noise. Thankfully they chose to have it checked out and discovered that there was a problem with the brakes The result of continuing without fixing the problem could have been quite disastrous. The thing is, with warning signs, we need to be prepared to pay attention. And uh, living as we do in a self-serving, self-centred, self-obsessed society, there's a danger that we don't heed the warnings and so allowed attitudes such as these to creep into our lives personally and into the life of our church. In the passage that Lynn is about to read to us from Romans 12, Paul sounds a warning note when he writes, Don't let the culture of the society in which you live squeeze you into its mould. You see, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle has been teaching his readers the Gospel, that all people are sinners, that God is holy and just, and therefore we are under his judgment. He then reminds us that God, in his great mercy, has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, so that through Christ's perfect obedience, through his death in our place, it's possible for God to declare all of those who trust in Christ to be in the right with God. And so he writes in Romans 8:1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's on the basis of that great work of salvation that Paul now writes here in Romans 12 to 15. He wants to apply that teaching. In effect, he's saying on the basis of what God has done for you, this is how you should live. This is how the experience of salvation should be seen in the totality of your life. And a lot of what Paul says in these chapters has to do with relationships. So Lynn, could you come and read the scriptures to us please?
1: Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. Now we know that there's many versions of the Bible. This morning I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I was asked to read from that one, and it's very inspiring. So you may like to look it up on your Bibles, Romans 12, 1 to 8. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with God's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy... Speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly.
0: So what's Paul said there? He said, in view of what God has done for you in showing you his grace and his mercy, you need to live in contrast to the secular society of which we're a part. And for this to happen, he says, we have to have a changed mind and we have to change and renew our thinking. Then in verse 3, he tells us that a renewed mind will also lead to a changed attitude towards ourselves. He says we shouldn't have an inflated sense of our own importance. Rather, we need to have a balanced attitude in the context of this passage he's saying don't think you're better than others but also don't underestimate yourself then in the following verses he writes about our relationships with others who have come to faith in Christ we have to have a changed attitude towards our fellow christians that's because, as Christians, we aren't just a, a lot of individual people who happen to be believers in Jesus Christ. On the contrary, we are united with all other believers in a significant way. It was 18th century preacher John Wesley who stated, there are no such things as solitary saints. The idea of a hermit Christian or a religious recluse is not biblical. Yes, we must individually make that response of faith, accepting Christ as our saviour. But God's purpose in saving people is to incorporate them into a new community, a truly great society, his church. Yes, our Christian faith is personal, but it is not private. And so, friends, we cannot call ourselves Christian and avoid the church. Let me say that again. We cannot call ourselves Christian and avoid the church. This has always been the case. Right from the, through the Old Testament, God has been concerned about a community of people. People who live under his direction. People who obey standards. The story of the Bible is that God is making and shaping and refining his people beginning with Abraham. The lives of individuals like Moses, David and Isaiah and the twelve disciples have their meaning as part of God's continuous community. God has always been concerned about a community of people and there are no signs that he's changed his plan. In Exodus 19, God required Moses to tell Israel that you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for me. And then Peter says, takes up those words as he's writing to the church and says the same thing about a multinational church, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And so God's purpose has always been to have a community of people to be his representatives on earth, not just a mob of individuals. In the Old Testament, Israel was a national ethnic group chosen by God to show what it was like to live under his direction. And Of course, as we know, unfortunately, many failed to do this. In the New Testament God has chosen the international community of believers to be his representative to be his representatives in society. And as we look through the New Testament we find that he uses the New Testament uses a number of different metaphors to explain this relationship this community this uh Group of people that God has called his church. It says we're siblings in God's family. He says we're bricks or stones in God's building. It says we're like an army marching under God's direction. We're like a nation living under God's rule. And here in this passage in Romans as well as in Corinthians and Ephesians, Paul suggests that Christians are like various organs united in a body. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to be considering together this theme of our life together as God's people. And today we pick up the thought from Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function... So it with, is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And over the coming weeks we'll explore how this has worked out in the life of the church, whether it's a local church like Kilsyth South or the wider church. And here in Romans 12 Paul describes God's community as being like a human body. He uses the picture of the human body to help us understand as the church as the body of Christ. Now, most of us have probably never heard of the book Terminologia Anatomica. But it's the international standard of human anatomic terminology. It lists over 7,500 body parts. That's 7,500 parts in that body. Each have got a name and each have got a job to do. It includes dozens of organs, more than 200 bones, hundreds of muscles, nerves, ligaments, blood vessels and all sorts of other microscopic structures. Now Paul had never read this book when he wrote his letter to the Romans but what did he write? Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a spe- special function. So, and we'll look at the rest of the verse in a moment. Yes, the, the human body is a distinct entity. I mean, take a look at the person sitting at front of you or beside you. That person has 7,500 different parts in their body. Loose. It'd be rather messy, wouldn't it? They are united together in that body and each of those thousands of parts has a specific function. Each one of those 7,500 parts enclosed in your body has a specific role so that every function that your body needs to be perform is undertaken by one or more of those parts. But each one of those parts is dependent on others to perform properly. The eyes for seeing, the ear is for hearing, the muscles to keep the body erect, help it move and so we could go on. Each part is dependent on the other parts. Stomach needs the contribution the gallbladder can make. Kidneys are there to remove waste products from the blood and to control the level of substances in the blood. The fingers need the hand and the hand need the arms and the arms need the elbows and the shoulders. They all need the nourishment that comes from the digestive system. A disconnected arm or a disconnected leg. And so the human body of parts. Each one is unique. Each one is distinctive. Each one has a role. Each one is essential, but they all need to be together to fulfill their purpose. Sorry. Not used to holding one of these things. <laughs> there has to be this sense of interdependence. There are diverse 7,500 parts, but they form one body, each with its unique role. And as each part fulfils its function, the entire body works effectively. You know, without this diversity, the whole body would be a monstrosity. But it is diversity in unity. Unity. Well, that's Paul's illustration. So we come back to to Romans chapter 12 where he applies this illustration. Verse 4 and 5, he says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Let me underline that again. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The church, as we know, is a community of all kinds of men and women of various ages, from various cultures, who speak various languages. They're engaged in a whole range of jobs, they've got a whole lot of different interests and different needs. But we are united by one supreme fact. And that fact is that we each acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, as our head. And it is the Holy Spirit who binds us together. And that's why the the picture of the human body provides a significant illustration of the church, of what it is and how it functions yeah, we choose our friends because they have similar interests to, to our own, it's different, uh, similar ideas, similar style. But God puts different people in the church so that we can learn from one another and so that we can complement one another. There is unity in our diversity. Being members of one body means we are interdependent and not independent. No member of Christ's body can say to someone else, well I don't need you because the whole emphasis in the New Testament is that every Christian needs other Christians. If we don't recognise the concept of the church as an interdependent body and in humility work together as members of that body, then that church will be dysfunctional. A healthy church is one where each person recognises the contribution that others can make and the contribution that they themselves can make and then each one makes that contribution. A functioning church is a healthy church. I mean, as you look around, each of you, you the person you see is an individual. They're unique No one else is like you or me, and perhaps some of us think just as well. But at the same time, we need each other. We are unique and different, but each of us is of equal value to Christ our head. Each of us needs our Christian brothers and sisters. Just as the human body doesn't function when some bodily organs decide not to work, So it is with the body of Christ. I am part of you. You are part of me. Each of us has a part and needs to do our part to be a functioning, healthy church. Some of us may think, well, I'm not so sure of that. I seem to be getting on quite all right by myself as a Christian. Yes, we Aussies tend to be individualistic. We admire the the strong, independent person who can make it on his own or her own. But as Christians, we need to fight this tendency. That's why Paul wrote in verse 2 of chapter 12, don't be squeezed into society's mould. We need to heed the warning. The principle of the body means that we need each other. But to admit that requires humility. That's why Paul reminded us in verse 3, don't have an inflated sense of your own importance. So let's spend a few moments just exploring this matter. Why is it that we need our fellow Christians? Exploring what it means to be the body of Christ. First of all, as members of the body of Christ, we need each other to be able to fully grasp the love of God. Writing to the Ephesians, Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Listen to this, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and love and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, we can't have a full appreciation of God's love in isolation. Then as members of the body of Christ, we also need it to one another so that we can grow to spiritual maturity. None of us can grow to the spiritual maturity that God's purpose is for us alone. We need the wisdom, the support, the guidance, the counsel of others. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said that God gave the church certain people who were gifted to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. He says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Friends, neither you nor I can be a maturing Christian unless we are contributing our part to the maturing of our fellow Christians in the body of Christ. Of course, us also receiving from our fellow Christians so that we too can grow to maturity. I know it's an old illustration, but it's true. If you're like me, you like sitting in front of an open fire, we enjoy watching the embers glowing in the fire but remove one of those glowing embers from the others but put it by itself it soon loses its glow and becomes cold the principle of the body means that we need to develop relationships with other members of the body so that together we might grow towards Christ likeness towards maturity Now, in a church such as the size of Kilsyth South, it's impossible to know everyone well. But it is through involvement in connect groups and through involvement in prayer groups that we can develop those deeper relationships. This is what the principle of the body means. As members of the body of Christ, we need each other to develop Christian graces. You know, we've been talking about the fact that we're not to be Christians in isolation but in relationship with each other. And that's often the rub, isn't it? Relationships often result in misunderstanding, in conflict, in hurt feelings. Yes, even in the body of Christ. I'm sure that we know Christians who have been hurt by fellow believers When that happens, some tend to drop out of the Christian community. Yes, in this fallen world, even in the body of Christ, relationships will expose us to the risk of being hurt. But it's only in relationships that Christian graces can develop. These graces we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And these qualities can only develop in relationship. We need others to love. We need others to whom uh, may annoy us, to teach us patience. We need others uh, to whom we can show kindness... We need others to, uh, to help us to learn self-control because they pester us. And so we could go on. As members of the body of Christ, we need to develop each other to develop Christian graces. As members of the body of Christ, we need one another to serve Christ. We can't all be an eye or a nose or a foot in the body. Each of us has been given unique gifts that we can contribute to the body of Christ. When each of us do our part and use our gifts according to what we have given, the body will function well. This is what Paul goes on to say in the rest of that passage that Lynn read for us in verses 5 to 8. That God has given each of us gifts to serve the body. It's only in community that we can discover our God-given gifts. Nowhere in the the New Testament are we told to discover our own spiritual gifts. Rather, those gifts are discerned by others when we are part of the body of Christ. And once discovered, they are to be used. For the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Each of us should be involved in some form of service using the gifts that God has given to us no matter how small or insignificant we may see those gifts to be. And too, as members of the body of Christ, we need the care and support that we can offer to and receive from our fellow believers. Each of us has to minister to others and others uh, need to minister to us and so fulfil the command to love one another. I remember once when I had a terrible toothache. That tooth didn't have to suffer on its own. My whole body stayed awake all night in order to keep that tooth company. And so within the body of Christ we rejoice when others rejoice and we weep when others weep. This is the beauty of being part of the body of Christ. And finally as members of the body of Christ we demonstrate our unity in Christ by meeting with our fellow believers. A body does not do well if its members aren't connected. My fingers can not operate uh, can only operate when they're connected to my hand and my hand can only operate when it's connected to the arm, the arm to shoulder and so on. And so it is in the body of Christ. We need to maintain contact with other believers, not just in a church service but in smaller groups, in connect groups where we can have in-depth interaction with one another. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul urges us to agree with one another and to be perfectly united with one another. To the Ephesians, he wrote, make every effort to keep the unity that the Spirit gives through the bond of peace. You know, I think there's a danger sometimes with since COVID with... Many churches, such as ourselves, continuing to provide on-life services, that we see this as a substitute for meeting with other believers. Service is certainly a wonderful benefit for those in advancing years or for those who are suffering ill health. I know Bev appreciated this ministry during her illness. But friends, online listening and viewing must never become a substitute for meeting together. If we're staying at home to watch a service simply because it's more convenient, save the hassle of having to go out, I think we believe we need to take a fresh look at this whole concept of who we are within the body of Christ. All of which places a solemn responsibility on each one of us individually, on all of us together, to really mean business with our discipleship. It's no wonder the Hebrew Christians in chapter 10 were urged to not give up the habit of meeting together as some of them were doing. Coming together with fellow Christians indicates that we belong together, but it also enables our spiritual development at our Christian service. Let's all draw all this together. What's it mean? In this passage, Paul is teaching that it is only as we live both personally and corporately in this pattern of active involvement in the church that the body of Christ can function as the maker designed it. It means that Christ has placed you, that has placed me in this part of his body at Kilsyth South so that we each can find fulfilment here. God's glory is revealed in the diversity of his people. When the Spirit of God is free to work in the church, there is diversity. We each have different functions, giftings, strengths, but they complement other parts of the body. When operating as God designed us, we are a blessing to the entire body. When we don't operate that way, the way we were designed, then the body suffers. great thing about this is that each of us can play to our strengths within the gifting God has given to us. And that's why we come back to verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. We need to renew our minds. We need to prove the will of God for our lives. And God's will is that we should be functioning parts of the body of Christ. Yes, we're living in a self-serving, self-centred, self-obsessed, modern-day, rush-rush society. But as the body of Christ, we are called to be a counter-culture. Each of us is necessary. Each of us is to bless other parts of the body. For we are called to belong to each other. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us, for calling us, for adopting us into your family and incorporating us into your body. For this, we are ever grateful. Grant us the grace to make that unity within the body ever visible. We ask this so that people observing us will know that we are your disciples because of the depth of the quality of the relationships we have with one another, the same kind of love that you have shown us. Enable us to be willing to do our part within this church so that your purpose for Kilsyth South might be fulfilled. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.